Thanks for listening to the Community Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Pastor Dan Strutz here. Our desire is to connect people with Christ and community. For more info or to contact us, please visit cbcmountainlake.com. Good morning to y'all. Good morning, good morning. If, uh, if it was like uh, this past week at VBS... Uh, I'd go and run back and forth like I did this week with the kids and make you guys do the wave throughout the thing. Uh, we had a lot of good time, a really good time at VBS this week, and uh, really enjoyed having the kids. It was uh, it was a fun week to have uh, these front handful of pews on both sides, just full of kids, uh, loud, screaming, energetic, and, and it was fun. And I was talking about myself, right? Loud, screaming, energetic. Uh, no, the kids were great. Uh, it was a sports theme, so for me, that was really something to get into. I enjoyed it, um, and I got to spend time uh, doing the Bible lessons with the kids, and it was, it was fun to uh, just walk through this week with these kids as they were learning about how God gives us what we need for life, how God gives us what we need um, for living life, and it all comes through Jesus, uh, our God and our King. One of the things that, uh, one of the nights this week, and actually, I should, I should say I kind of feel different this, to this morning even because this week I, I, I wore a sports jersey. So this morning I, I kind of feel like I'm not in character with what was this week. I, I watched a, a, wore a different sports jersey kind of represent something that related to the sermon or the, the message for the kids each night. And so uh, this morning I, I feel like I should again be wearing my baseball jersey because I'm going to talk about that a little bit in a second. But uh, to those of you that, that helped out, thank you again. Um, the, the hope is that God is working on these kids' hearts and souls and minds. Um, the, uh, you know, some, sometimes we can go through a VBS week and, um, and wonder what the kids retained. We can put it kind of on our own effort and energy and think, well, what did I communicate anything that the kids will hold on to and that will be permanent? And again, just kind of like, like we do, and I, I trust that God is doing, even on the Sunday morning, uh, worship service, I, I trust that there's a God who's working even when we don't see him. And there's a God who's working in the kids' lives that when we taught them about things like Jesus cares for you and Jesus loves you and Jesus gives you hope, uh, those aren't things that are just that they're hearing and we're hoping maybe they catch it. But God is using that to soften hearts and minds uh, for the kids. And so um, even as you go from here, as you think about the VBS, as it comes up, be praying for those kids that they can remember those things. And that they can, things like that can stick in their minds and their hearts. It was really cute. We had uh, one kid over at our place after the last night uh, visiting with mom and, and the kid. And, and the kid's playing there with some blocks. And he started singing, joy, joy, joy. And that was one of the songs. And it was like, he got it. He's caught it. You know, and he's just singing that on his own. It was really precious. And again, I think that those are the kind of things we trust that God is going to use. That he's working in, in, in hearts and minds. And the same is with this morning. Uh, as we turn to God's word, we want to learn and, and, and trust that God is working, using these messages, using these worship songs we've been singing uh, to mold us and shape, in, uh, shape us and soften our hearts. Uh, so this morning we're going to go to Isaiah 32. Isaiah 32, and we're going to read there in just a minute. Uh, that is going to be on page 503 of your uh, pew Bible, if you're going there. We're on this journey through Isaiah. We're on this journey through Isaiah, and again, Isaiah is a prophet 
Uh, he's, he's one that's speaking the words of God to the people. He's trying to in, enlighten the people of what God sees and what God wants from them. And he, he's trying to communicate because Isaiah has seen the Lord. He's been given a vision, and he wants what's best for God's people. He wants them to know and look forward to a time when, like we're going to see this morning, the king will come. Uh, this morning, I, I mentioned that I should maybe be wearing a baseball jersey because I think of baseball when it comes to hope. That's what I told the kids this week, that Jesus gives us hope. But one of the things that maybe of the world that sometimes gives me hope or I put my hope in wrongly sometimes is my baseball team. Now, I'm from Wisconsin. I'm a, a Milwaukee fan. Uh, hopefully they can beat the Twins this week when we go home and watch them and, and watch them in Milwaukee. Uh, Suzanne and I will be cheering for opposite teams there. Uh, but the, the hope uh, that I have with my baseball team is that every year I hope that maybe, maybe this will be the year that they finally win the World Series. And they still haven't done it. I, I, that's the thing I hope and wish, and I imagine that if it happened, I might tear up and just get excited. But it still has yet to happen. We told the kids that Jesus was their hope, and he's the hope for the future. He's the hope that he will come again. But for Isaiah in this story, just like me, hoping that each year, maybe this will be the year, and each year when we have a good season or we have a good player that's doing well, you get excited about it, and then you're let down. So it is with the Old Testament, because the Old Testament story is right from the get-go. God has promised a Messiah, a king, one who's going to bring God's people back to him. And throughout the storyline of the Bible, you see people like Abraham and Joseph and David. And you see these uh, power hitters in the Bible, and yet they always let the people down. And it's hard for them to trust that God is going to still work and give them what they truly desire, that king who will restore everything. But this morning Isaiah wants us to say and remind us that there is hope, there is this king who's coming, and you must await him, you must cling to him, is what we want to see this morning. So let me read for us the, uh, let me pray for us first and just thank God and let him open our hearts for this word. Father God, we thank you this morning that you do speak through your word, that you've preserved this story, this old story, almost 3,000 years old, and yet we know and believe that it can still teach us for stuff for today. Because the reality is, is that you still are a king, that you are God, and we want to trust in you. Father, we ask this morning that uh, all that is on our minds and our hearts from the week things that the enemy might use to distract us. Lord, may they be bound by you, by you, Spirit. May you open up our ears, our minds, and our hearts to listen to you. Father, I ask that you speak through me. I, I am a vessel, an instrument, and I want to do that for you. So, Lord, this morning, we give this time to you in your name. Amen. Isaiah 32, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 to start. It says there, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice. Each will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. Then the eyes of those who will, who will see will not be closed, and the ears of those who hear will give attention, and the heart of the hasty will understand and know. 
and the tongue of the stammering will hasten and speak distinctly. The fool will no longer be called noble, nor the scoundrel said to be honorable. For the fool, the fool speaks folly, and his heart is busy with iniquity to practice ungodliness, to utter error concerning the Lord, to leave the cra- cravings of the hungry unsatisfied, and to despot, deprive the thirsty of drink. As for the scoundrel, he devises evil. His plans, he plans wicked schemes to run in the poor, to ruin the poor with lying words. Even with the plea of the needy, even the plea of the needy is right. But when, but he who is noble plans noble things, and on noble things he stands. Our text this morning is an opening promise. It's about a promised king that will come. It's this this message of hope and excitement that there is going to be a king that's going to lead the people. Isaiah starts off with that, Behold, look, focus in, draw your attention, draw your heart to this king that I promise is going to come. That's important for us to be reminded. First, because we we know who Isaiah is. Uh, Several weeks ago, we looked at Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6 is where Isaiah gets that wonderful vision, that important message of God seated on a throne. And we remember back to to when we talked about how Isaiah, when he's there, he hits the deck and he bows before the Lord because he's before this king. And he says, I am not worthy to be here. I am broken and ruined. And yet God chooses to redeem Isaiah, to give him life, to give him uh, forgiveness and to make him be a herald, a messenger for this king coming. And so from from Isaiah's vision, he has this vision, and he's been commissioned to go forward. And and like like the king who's coming in a procession, Isaiah is the one that's going ahead saying, the king is coming, the king is coming, the king is coming. And that's exactly what he's saying here. He's heralding in this messenger. Now this is good news. And it's important to remember that over the last bunch of chapters... Basically, since chapter 7, right after that vision, the leadership of, of, Israel, of Judah, the southern kingdom, has, has just been going worse and worse and worse. In chapter 7, Ahaz chose to not follow Isaiah. And the chapters after that, uh, all the people, or all the judgments come on all the different nations. And more recently, chapters 28, 29, up until this chapter, there's been a conversation with God, with the people saying, you guys, you're trusting in the wrong thing. You're trusting in Egypt. You want to go down there and put your hope in that, that they can save you. And you should be trusting in God. It's a really bleak time, as I've said, over numerous passages for Israel at the surface. But throughout, we've seen little bits of grace come in. And here, again, this reality is, is that a king is coming. King is coming, he's promised. We should be reminded why is it that the leadership ha- has gone array? Why have they gone and not trusted in God? One, it's because of that army, Assyria. Uh, they are, are making uh, Judah, the, the nation that they're coming down on, basically a pressure cooker of anxiety because they are, they are big, bad, and they are taking up territory. And so Judah is anxious. And nervous, and they're trying to let off whatever pressure they can, including in going and trying to make a treaty with Egypt, who's to their south. But much more than that, the hearts of the leaders have just gone into not caring about what God would say. 
they don't want to lead the people. God's people called out from Egypt uh, in the Exodus. They've been led by a leader, and they're called by this leader to, to speak and to direct as God would want them to, to lead justly and righteously, to love the people and care for them, not to think of their own interests. But that's what the leadership has totally gone against. They only think about themselves. They care about their own ways. And so in this story, this leadership before this promise is really, truly messed up. And now finally, in verses, in chapter 32, we have, instead of a woe passage, instead of a warning, we have a great promise. A king is coming, and actually, not just coming, he will reign. He will be the one who sits on the throne of this people and leads and guides and directs them. Now, we want to think of Jesus right away. We want to go to Jesus and think about him and say, okay, yep, I know that's Jesus. He's coming there. But for this people, we have to step back into their minds and wonder, is that what they were thinking of? Or were they just thinking that it might be another leader, another hopeful leader that maybe will do uh, something that he's one of the grandkids uh, of David and he's maybe going to lead them a little better? We're going to learn in a couple weeks about Hezekiah. He was a good king. He could have fit the bill in part, but he again let the people down. And so we're seeing here that what is talked about, this king that's coming, is a much bigger figure. It's the Messiah, the chosen one, the one they are to look forward to. The one they're supposed to get excited about and and tell others about and and worship and go to with all their hopes and cares. What we have here in Isaiah is a painted picture of this leader who they can look forward to. One who's going to lead with righteous and justice, verse 1. He's going to read rightly, and and even those, the princes underneath him, those in his administration and his cabinet, they also are going to lead correctly because he's not going to allow even for anyone underneath him to lead falsely. That's so much different. It contrasts the leaders of the current time. Things are going to be fair, right, as God desires him to lead. And not only that, it speaks in verses 2 uh, that this, this king, this leader, uh, he's going to provide for them shelter, comfort, uh, care. He's going to even give them life, water in a dry place. Just what these people need, directing them to God and leading them and protecting them th- from things like Assyria. And more so from other judgment from God and other things. This leader is going to lead and protect and guard them. This would have been especially pertinent when Assyria is coming in. That, that this people needed this hope of a king who actually could do something, that actually could protect them, unlike the weak leaders of their time. This king also, verse 3 and 4, is going to transform the people. It speaks of eyes, seeing, ears, hearing, hearts, and tongues working properly. It says that when this king comes, not only is he going to lead, but his people, his subjects underneath him, are going to be transformed where they are going to follow properly. They're going to want to desire to follow this king, and they're going to go after him and and not question leadership. Those are the positives. The negatives are for those leaders that are, are, are leading currently, those who think they're wise, 
but are, are not following God, it's going to be flipped upside down, and they're going to be made to look fo- like fools. They're going to be made to look foolish in their decisions, and they're not wanting to follow God, and they're setting aside and, and trying to scheme their own ways. This king is going to make them look silly as he flips the kingdom upside down, as he inverts it to his own way. We can hope for that king. We desire ourselves in our lives today those things. We want a leader in our time that will lead correctly, lead God's way. We desire a king that will shelter us and protect us and give us life and draw us to sources of water, living water, that we can go to and drink in this life. We desire a king who will transform us, who will change our lives. Not just for the better for today, but ultimately so we can respond and follow after God correctly. Again, we know the story that this, what he's talking about here, is ultimately going to be found in the Messiah. It's going to be found in Jesus when he comes. Not just in his first coming, but more greatly in his second coming. We hope that this king will come and we look forward to it. We long for it, but we desire it and we speak of it. But the question is, just like Israel, who knew that that promise was really a lot older than Isaiah. That promise of this king to come, it lasted a long time before this. The question is, is we can want that promised king, but do we have the opportunity in our lives to get too comfortable with that promise? Do we have an opportunity to be too at ease in this life? Which is where Isaiah goes next. The question that I want to lay before us is, are we clinging to the promise of this king? Are we clinging to that tightly? Are we desperately longing for that? Or are we at ease in the world? On a day-to-day basis, what is it? How is it that we respond to this promise? Uh, Look with me at verses 9 through 14. Verses 9 through 14. It says there, Rise up, you women who are at ease. Hear my voice, you complacent daughters. Give ear to my speech. In little more than a year, you will shudder, you complacent women. For the grape harvest fails, and the fruit harvest will not come. Tremble, you women who are at ease. Shudder, you complacent ones. Strip and make yourself bare and tie sackcloth around your waist. Beat your breast with the pleasant fields for the fruitful vine and the soil of my people growing up in thorns and briars. Yes, for all the joyous houses in the excellent city. For the place, palace is forsaken, the populous city deserted. The hill and the watchtower will become dens forever. A joy of wild donkeys, a pasture of flocks. This message goes from hopeful to not so much. It goes from exciting to calling these people out. Now, why, we can ask, we, we isolate out, and he says, he, he, he goes after the women here. Why, why is, he just, is he just picking on the ladies? Is he just doing that, or is there something else going on here? 
I think the purpose of what he's going after when he's saying this is that the leaders are usually associated with the men, and he's contrasting this with the the women and all the others that are in this place, that this problem isn't just with the leadership. This problem isn't with the people, the priests, those that are in high places. This problem of not trusting the Lord trickles all the way down through all the people. This isn't just a leadership issue, it's a heart-level issue that has contaminated the whole system. And the problem is, is rather than trusting and believing and wanting this king to come, they've gotten complacent. Other translations there use the word overconfident, or that they feel that they're secure without God. There's an assumption that nothing can happen to them, that nothing can rock the boat, that things have been going well, and he talks about it in terms of the harvest. Now we know that for them, they were an agricultural society that depended on the harvest, and things had been good recently. Things had been really good. Things had been coming in, the vines, they had been ripe, and they, in that, in those things of the world, as they were looking out in front of them and seeing the harvest come in, Year after year, they were excited and confident in themselves. Yes, God had brought them out of Egypt a long time ago. Yes, he had walked with them and set them up. And yes, God called them to be his people and to be set apart from him. But they had forgotten about that. They were clinging to what they had seen in front of them, not to God. They had become complacent, at ease in this life. And here Isaiah is calling them out. He says, you should not be complacent. You should not be just trusting what you see in front of you. You should be actually crying out to God. You should be desiring Him to intercede. You should be desiring this King to come on earth today, not waiting for it. You should be crying out and desiring that. Because while the things in front of you, the world, your life looks good, your spiritual heart, is disaster. Where you're at in trusting the Lord and clinging to Him daily has weeds growing up in it. He speaks of those briars and thistles growing up in there. A couple times already in Isaiah, he's talked about this in terms of the spiritual condition of the people, that in the middle of a farm field, these thistles will ruin everything. It's going to ruin and choke out the things, the produce that's supposed to come. And that's the case for these people because they are not trusting him and asking him to guide them and lead them and desiring this king who was promised long ago to come. They are missing it. So for these people, they're called out. They're challenged. And they're said that even a year from now, this, your hope that you see in the world is going to disappear, and it would. Eventually, another army would come in and take them away from their land. The things that they put their hope in would disappear. And God's saying, you should have been trusting in me. You should have been clinging to me. Because destruction is coming your way. Because you haven't. Now the question for us is, how does that apply to us? What does that mean for us today? As as we are asking that question, am I clinging to uh, God, to the, the Almighty King who is coming, who is promised, or am I at ease in my life? 
I think like Israel, we can, can come to the Lord, especially those of us who have been walking with Jesus a long time. We can come to him and, and say, yes, okay, I'm God's, I'm chosen. I got my ticket in the heaven card. You see those pictures of, of Peter at the pearly gates, which I don't think is biblical, but you know the picture. And we could say, I got my ticket. He'll, God will let me in. But as I told the kids the other night at VBS, is, is the, the thing that we have to be reminded of is when we trust Christ and when we're saved, God doesn't just take us off to heaven. He lives us in this life. And the call that we're supposed to do at that point is to cling daily, depending on Him. When life is hard, when life is good, in all those things, we're to call to cling and not be complacent. For some of us, I fear sometimes that that's where we get. We look at life, my job, my house, my family, things are good, I'm okay. I don't have anything to grow in the Lord. I don't have anything uh, in my heart that I need uh, Him to work on. And so rather than than asking the king, uh, king, promise king, come and reign more and more in my life. Come and be in here more and more because that needs to happen before we ask him to come in our world. We need him to come and reign in here first. Rather than asking that, we say, I'm good. I'm complacent. I'm at ease in the world. So what we need to remind ourselves this morning is we can't, we need to stand up spiritually like these women are being challenged to do and cry out and say, God, there are areas in my life where you're not reigning. Come and reign in me and be in a place of mourning until he works in your life and walks with you and guides and directs you by the power of his spirit. Look at verse 15, that next verse. He says, this is going to happen. Destruction is going to come until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. Our call is to cling and depend until God shows up and works and moves forward and rises up and pours over us. Now for these people, they were called as a people to wait for that until the Spirit was poured out the Spirit to come mightily. Again, we know, or we can, we can relate this, that this is ultimately going to land in Christ, the King, the leader, who ultimately had, and wa- had the Spirit upon him as he walked through this life. Luke kind of takes and alludes to this verse from Isaiah in chapter 1 of his book, the Gospel of Luke, when he speaks, when we, an angel comes and shows up with Mary says, Mary, the angel answered, he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. It's this idea of the Spirit showing because this leader, the power uh, that is going to bring healing to the people is going to come. And therefore the child to, to be born to you, Mary, will be called the Holy, the Son of God. That Spirit came upon Mary, to give Jesus, the Messiah, birth, to live life, to live this perfectly. The thing that we see through Jesus in his life is he never was complacent. He was always depending on God. He was always working and trusting. He becomes the example for us as we walk through this life. He didn't depend on his own strength. 
He clings to the Father by the power of the Spirit. What's more is later on in Acts, Luke again gives us this idea of the Spirit coming upon us, the thing we should cry out for, the thing we should hope for, the thing that helps us to not be at ease in this life and with what we see in front of us. In Acts 1, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Again, the Spirit's role in coming upon us and walking with us in this life. Why? So that we can be witnesses. So that, like the illustration of fruit growing up in a vineyard and and a produce coming, it's so that we can have a produce come off our lips and so we can witness God to the world. Which is ultimately our call, it's ultimately our task that Jesus gives us. And that's what He empowers us with in the Spirit. Isaiah is calling these women to say, we need to not be complacent. We need to trust in God and cry out for Him. Chapter 32 ends with speaking of great things that are going to come. The promise that when the Spirit is poured out, it's going to be peace. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, a secure dwelling, in a quiet resting place. Verse 18. It comes and closes. Happy are you who sow beside the waters, who let the feet of the ox and the donkey reign free. And it speaks of a great, uh, a great city that's no longer desolate but fertile. And it's promising. It's joyful. But the story of this king to come, and the way in which this king comes... Is continues on into chapter 33. And that's where we need to go as we look a little further into our text. If we go down a little bit further, we read chapter 33, which again continues this king, you will see him, he will come, narrative. It says in one verse 1, Ah, you destroyers, who you yourself have not been destroyed, you traitor whom none has betrayed. When you have ceased to destroy, you will be destroyed. And when you have finished betraying, you will betray. Now Israel was supposed to be looking for this king. They were supposed to be hoping and excited about this king to come. But we know that they were going off and making deals with Egypt to their south. But here this verse that I just read, it speaks of the way Egypt, Egypt was handling it says in that end that the Egypt was betraying them. The, 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 the story goes that Egypt had, had betrayed the deal. They had, had, had renegotiated. They didn't want to help them, and they kind of were hands-off with Judah. They betrayed their contract. And so the big thing is that in this moment when, when the people are being called by Isaiah to look forward to this king, to put your hope in this king, what's actually happening in the world in front of them is their hope that they had put in Egypt is backing away from the deal. They're saying no deal. They're walking away and letting Judah do it on their own. So the people of Israel are betrayed. The reality is, is as we, as we put our trust in anything in this life, things that we can try to put our hope in outside of God's way, outside of God's will, ultimately the end result is it's going to leave us betrayed and broken and without hope. Betrayed hearts come 
through this deal that they trusted in Egypt. We turn to verse 2 and 3. It speaks of a prayer. O Lord, be gracious to us. We wait for you. Be our arm every morning, our salvation in the time of trouble, our tumultuous noise, people flee. When you lift yourself up, nations are scattered, and you spoil, your spoil is gathered as cater, as cater, caterpillar caterpillars gather, as locusts is leaf, it is left upon. This, these broken, betrayed hearts turn to repentance. They turn back to God, and even if it's a last resort, they turn back to God and are repentant and say, "God, we missed it. We're sorry. We, we bring us forgiveness." We see in it God's heart. Look down at verse 10, 11, and 12. God says this, Now I will rise, says the Lord, and I will lift up myself, and now I will be exalted. You conceive shaft and give birth to stubble. Your breath is a fire that will consume you, and the peoples will be as burned to lime, like thorns cut down that are burned by fire. The story goes on that, that here God is saying, I, because you have turned to me and you have repented and want to come to me, I am going to intercede. I am going to step in and protect and wipe out the threat that's against you. Now for Israel, or for Judah, they, they thought that, okay, God is showing up. God is working and he's going to get rid of all our enemies in this life. He's going to help us with the things that we see in front of us. And for a moment, that happened, but we know that Judah ultimately still fell captive to Babylon. They still got shipped out from their land and taken away. And so when we see God arising to these repentant hearts, when we see his heart is to heal them and be with them, we're like, but he didn't. He didn't. They still got shipped off, right? They still were broken by their enemies and taken carted away to another nation. So where's God's heart in that? I think the picture is bigger than that. Look at verses 13 through 16. God is more concerned, not just about Israel, but he's concerned about the whole world. So he says this, Here you are far off. And he looks wide. He looks at all those nations, not just those who are within the ears of of Isaiah, he's looking to all the world. Uh, hear you who are far off, what I have done. And you who are near, acknowledge my might. The sinners of Zion are afraid, trembling who are seized. They are asking, who among us can dwell in the consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? the question that they're asking, who can upstand, who can walk justly, who can walk righteously with this God, who can handle it? Who can lead these people the way that God wants them to? Verse 15. He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, who despises the great gain of the oppression, who speaks, who shakes his hand, hands, and lest they hold a bribe, who stops his ears from hearing bloodshed and shuts his eyes and looks from looking unto evil. When he, when he will dwell in the heights, his places of defense will be a fortress of rock. His bread will be given him. His water will be sure. These words, the pronouns in there, speak of one man. 
One man can do this. One man can live this out. One man can follow this through. And that person ultimately, again, Isaiah is speaking, and through the rest of his book, the back half of his book, he's going to talk about how this king will come, he's going to suffer as a servant for his people, and then in that he's going to conquer. That man was that same man who was brought with the Spirit. Jesus, he walks and leads correctly. He leads righteously. He does not take a bribe. He avoids bloodshed. He dwells in the heights, and his place will be a rock for us. This passage, it moves from saying, yes, people of Judah, that you have cried out to me, and I will arise, but how I will rise is by sending one who will come. And that speaks of that king. The king for the world to see. The king for for everyone to look at. Not just Judah. The king for us, who years and years later still look to and say, that is our king. He's the one that came. And it speaks, verse 17, your eyes will behold this king in his beauty. And you will see the land that stretches afar. And then it goes on to say, you will consider the terror that was, but yet you will be reminded and you'll be brought in as this king is restoring. Verse 22. In this, the world, those worlds who are called to look to this king, those people who are called to say, look, this is what Israel is all about, is bringing this king for the world. They will look, verse 22, and say, for the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Verse 24. And no inhabitants will say, I am sick. And the people will dwell there, will be forgiven of their iniquity, of their sins. The story of this king is not just to save Israel, Judah, from some earthly king. It's not just about them crying out and clinging to him so that they can be saved for the moment. That the thing that they were betrayed by in that day will bring them forward. The story is much larger than that. That through these people, through their cry and their bringing of a king, ultimately their sins, their iniquities against God are going to be healed. For us this morning, we're in that group. We're called to say, are we looking to the king, the only one man who could walk forward in life? Are we clinging to him in this life, saying he's our God, he's our judge, he's our king, he will save us? Again, in our life, we have the choice. Tomorrow you will be going out to your world, you'll go out to your jobs, you'll go out to your homes, and you'll be challenged with saying, am I going to trust in those things? Or am I going to cling tightly to the God that knows, that cares, that is just and right. Ultimately, Jesus came, showed us this in his life. He brought us forward uh, through his death and his resurrection to have new life. And again, the hope, the ultimate promise is, do we cling for that king? Not just in his first coming, but in his second coming. And in a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper after I pray. We're going to be reminded again that this king who promises he would come, 
to Israel, and He came the first time by the power of the Spirit at His first coming, again will come with the power of the Spirit to rule and reign in the end. So as we turn to the Lord's Supper, let us pray and ask God to remind us of these things, that we can not just cling on this life, but that we can grab hold and desperately await Him, asking Him to come in our lives. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You this morning. We thank You this morning that we can hope in You. That You made a promise that You would come. That for Israel, what they put their hope in, and time and time, every leader that they put their trust in, uh, eventually led them astray. But Jesus, we know that you won't. You were that one who came, and you're the one who leads us and reigns now when we put our trust in you. We know it's so easy to be blinded by all the other stuff in the world, all the things uh, that can so easily entangle us. We look to you, our King. Father, let us not be at ease in this world. Let us be convicted by where we might be trusting in the world and where we need to let go of that and cling tightly to you. We can only choose one or the other. Father, this morning, as we go towards your Lord's Supper, may we remember and be reminded of your meal until you come again. In Jesus' name we pray. We take this meal on the first Sunday of the month. We gather together here with symbols. A little piece of bread. A little cup of juice. We remember that they are not just things on a table, but they ultimately are what Jesus used to remind us of his great sacrifice for us. That the way that he brought us in, the way that he is able to be our king, is by the giving of his body and the shedding of our blood which purifies our sins so that we can come to him and we can rule and be transformed so we can follow him correctly as he reigns. This morning, if you have said yes to Jesus, this is an open table for those who have said yes to him to come and partake and to remember what he had done for us, what he, he told his disciples at that table, at that first last supper, that he told them to remember his sacrifice until he would come again. So this morning, uh, in a moment, uh, a couple of the guys will come, and if you can't come up here, they'll come around, and you can just put a finger up for them to come and give you bread and juice. But if you can come up, I ask that the, the reason that I think we come up is we, we come and make a proclamation here at this table to say, yes, I believe, yes, this is what I'm putting my hope in, that Jesus said he would come, he did once, and he will come again. This morning we read from Paul his words. He says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, he also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats this, the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. We want to examine ourselves and say, why is it that I take this? What is it that I am putting my trust in this day, in this life? What do I hope in for tomorrow? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you again that your choice was to love us, to show us your mercy, and that as we turn to you and look to you, we know that the world has nothing for us. And you are our hope. And we see that clearly in your cross when you gave us your heart, you gave us uh, your body, you gave us your blood to bring us back to you. Let us trust in that this morning as we proclaim you until you come again, our Lord and our King. In Jesus' name.